0: The Paul Leslie Hour. Helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello, welcome all. I'm glad you're joining us on the Paul Leslie Hour. On this particular show, we'll be playing my interview with the late songwriter Alex Harvey. I'm doing this kind of as a a memory for him. A lot of you who are listening, I have no doubt you knew Alex Harvey personally. You might have seen him perform. But for everybody else, you know his songs. I'm going to tell you a few of the songs that he wrote. One of them would be the hit song, Delta Dawn, recorded by Tanya Tucker and Helen Reddy. He wrote 18 songs that were recorded by Kenny Rogers, including Reuben James. Then some of you might know the song, Hell in High Water which was recorded by T. Graham Brown. For those of you from Texas, you might be familiar with the song he wrote, No Place But Texas. I would say he had the most success with Kenny Rogers' songs. One of the songs that Kenny Rogers recorded of his would be Making Music for Money, which Jimmy Buffett also recorded. Some of the other artists who recorded his work, Sammy Davis Jr., Dusty Springfield... Henry Mancini, Andy Williams, Edie Gourmet, Peggy Lee, Willie Nelson, Bette Midler, Billy Ray Cyrus. I could keep going. There were so many. On top of that, he made records himself, which a lot of people greatly enjoyed, me included. And he was greatly respected as a live performer and a storyteller. My take on him from interviewing him, a good spirit and a very loving person. I hope you all enjoy listening to this interview, and I hope it inspires you to look up some of these great songs and listen to them. I know Alex Harvey would have liked that. Let's get into the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking with songwriter Alex Harvey. You can visit the website. It's deltadawn.org. Alex Harvey is a singer-songwriter. He's sold more than 200 million recordings and has written songs recorded by the likes of Sammy Davis Jr., Henry Mancini, Andy Williams, Bent Midler, Tanya Tucker, Helen Reddy, then there's Kenny Rogers,
1: Jimmy Buffett,
0: Jimmy Buffett, yes. <laughs> it's, it's a long list of very iconic. Three list. Dog Night, wow, Three Dog Night. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been very blessed. I'm very, very, very blessed, Paul. Um, I thank God for that. Uh, I've been a, a songwriter all my life. Um I taught school three years, and the rest of the time I've been a songwriter and a singer, and I haven't had to do anything else. I had a couple of side jobs early on, but everything else is a smooth sailing now so
0: and where were you born?
1: Actually, I was born you know when I get down i'm i'm i'm, I'm i I lived in texas twenty five years, and people would ask me, "Are you from Brownsville, Texas And I would just say yes, <laughs> but really, I'm from Brownsville, Tennessee, which If it wasn't for Arkansas, it would be East Texas, you know. The people in West Tennessee are very, very similar to the people in East Texas. They're really the same person. Anyway, yeah, I was born in Brownsville, Tennessee.
0: Tell us about your parents.
1: You know, I grew up in in, in a very odd way. My dad was a traveling salesman, and and, uh, he was from a pretty good family. And he married a, a sharecropper's daughter from Mississippi. She was beautiful. But when he took her home to meet his, uh, she always was cleaning up after them. She was always trying to, trying to be perfect for them, and she just never could meet their standards. And when I was 14, my dad had tuberculosis, and he went to the hospital in the hospital about a year and a half, and she finally just couldn't take it anymore, and so she took her own life. I carried that with me for a long time. Finally, I became hopefully more godly. I love Jesus Christ. And I realized that the greatest gift God ever gives you is your pain. Because when you overcome your pain, you you obtain something called soul. But the black people call soul. We call it soul, too. When you hear somebody saying, you know, they're really feeling it, and you know it's coming from the heart, you call that soul. And I realized that the greatest gift God ever gives you is your pain. And when I realized that for myself, I began to write songs I couldn't even believe that I could write. Like Delta, and Ruby, Jennings. And so, uh, that's uh, basically the the core part of how I came up. I mean, there's all kinds of other things. But
0: how did you come to that realization that the the greatest gift that God gives you is your pain?
1: Because when I overcame it, my whole my whole being is is tuned into other people. When somebody when I see somebody feel love in their heart, when I sing one of my songs. The greatest that makes that that pain that pain cause people to see things will far beyond what I see as just a normal person. Understand? And my reason was not to just be out there in front of somebody and ever attain being a star or anything like that. It was all but it was all about can I sing the song that came out of my heart and make somebody else feel better, feel their own feelings, know their own know themselves, know know their own feelings if I if I can see that, that's the gift. That's how the gift shows itself. When you when you uh, get to that place. You know, we know a lot of people that's like Otis Redding to me, oh Otis Redding. Otis Redding had soul. You know, there's no doubt about that. But you know that Otis Redding didn't have a daddy either. You know, he grew he grew up in a painful way. That's, a lot of black people were that way, that's why we know we call it soul, and, and that's why we call it soul. Because that's they've had the pain and they've overcome it, and they're happy to be there. So nothing can happen to me now. That it's like I'm sitting in the Walmart with a flat tire, right now. I'm sitting in Walmart, and they're going to put a tire on. I drove all the way about 25 miles to get here. I know the Lord doesn't have anything to do with flattening my tire, but He has something to do with the way I think about it, and uh, I'm just thinking it. I'm just going to get to Walmart and get another tire. <laughs> so hmm. there it is.
0: <laughs> That's great. <laughs> what music did you hear early on or like a, when you were a young person?
1: Well, it was, it was an interesting uh, combination of, 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 sounds that I grew up with. And my, we had a little country store and my father had an, a man uh, who was friends with him who thought he should have a a dance hall for black people in the back of that store. And he brought a jukebox over. My daddy uh, built a a room on the back of that store. And on that jukebox was B.B. King, even in that day. And all the old blues guys, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, all those guys were on that jukebox. That was because of the dance hall. And then my dad was a big band fan, so I knew all, I know all, I know every, I mean, I don't know every song, but I know a lot of the old standards. And then I learned the same was, I walk a mile, cry smile, for my mama and daddy. You know, that was uh, uh, Lefty Grisell. And I thought Lefty Grisell just hung the moon. So then I had, so I had R&B, or actually it was blues on the jukebox and legitimate popular music from my father and the grand old from my mama. So I heard all three of them coming up. And then of course, when I, when I went to school, I got a master's in music and I learned all of the, uh, I learned all of the, uh, legitimate orchestral songs from Wagner. I loved Wagner. He was great. My, my favorite was Wagner because he had so much power in his music. So all of those things are all a part of what's in me. So that's, how, that's and the answer to that, which is, I guess you just say everything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> who would you say, in terms of songwriters, who would you say, if you had to pick just one that would be your biggest influence, who would you say that is?
1: The biggest influence as a songwriter, let me see, it it had to be one of the legitimate guys. One legitimate guys, which would be, um, let me see, man, you, you hit me with a hard one there. I could some popular music. I could see James Taylor was an influence. Um, I could say that. uh Stevie was a writer. You know that first album that T for the Tillerman was a combination of the best songs he'd ever written for several years, because so that was his first great album. All legitimate show show writers. You know the Broadway writers. I love those guys. Now, Mancini really wasn't a writer, but I was, that's why you know my songs. I, I like I had Perry Como, Andy Williams, Edie Gourmet, uh all those people cut my songs. In addition to um, country, a lot of a lot of country songs Like I said, Kenny Rogers cut eighteen of
0: my songs. I hope that was kind of an answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it yeah, it's, it's 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 interesting. So many different types of artists have recorded your your work. Yeah. Do you write mostly by yourself?
1: I do try to write totally by, by myself, and, I, and I've had so many, I've had so many disappointing moments with the other writers, and and there's been a few, there's been a few that that were, that you probably never heard of Tim Ryan. He was on CBS for a while, but he did his part. But you know, like for for instance, Delta Dow. I had written a song with Larry Collins in, earlier in the day. It was called Tulsa Turnaround. It, it eventually got cut by Three Dog Night and 27 other people. Uh, it, was a, it was a crazy song and a good song. It was a fun. And, so I'd been out drinking with uh, part of Merle Haggard's band and part of Buck Owens' band, and Larry Collins was there. And they were all smoking dope, and I don't smoke dope. I never did any kind of dope. I, I just I hate the smell of it. Any kind of dope just bothers me. I, I can't find a reason why anybody should do it. But anyway, I was sitting there fairly sober and everybody else was kind of passed out at three thirty in the morning. And I had this vision of my mother run, uh, coming around the room in a rocking chair laughing. And she was like, just r- riding, riding in a rocking chair around the top of the room. And, I, and I'm looking at that and I'm going, that's crazy. So anyway, that's, how Delta Dawn started, and and it took 10 minutes to write it. And when I got through writing I'm going to answer your question here in a minute. When I got through writing it, Larry Collins looked up and said, hey, let me show you how to play that. Let me show you how to play that. And he took the guitar and played exactly what I played. And I'd been drinking, and I looked at him, and I said, well, I'll give you half of that one, too. Well, you know, the problem with that is is you you go on forever. The thing that I would say to anybody else that's not a songwriter is like, just don't do that. You don't give somebody something when they didn't even participate in writing a song, and he had nothing to do with writing the song, the lyric or the melody. And I just gave it to him. Well, you know that was me giving it to him. It wasn't his fault. If it was me and somebody wanted to give me something I didn't that I didn't earn, I would certainly just say no. I don't want to. But it really wasn't his fault that that he took it when I gave it to him. And but you know it it, it it always and it's not not that not that it hurts me or anything, it's just that I wish that I hadn't. It's, I'm being unfair to myself. I think I would say more than anything else. And anymore, more, and I would say to songwriters, when they get ready, when you get ready to write a song, if somebody wants to write a, co-write a song with you, then when you're through with writing a song, just look them in the eye and say, how much of that do you think you deserve? Just say it that way, don't, you know, and let them tell you what they think they deserve. If it was an even, if it was an even co ride, then, and just let it be an even co ride and don't say anything. But if they didn't do much, and I think you have to ask them what they think they deserve. And so, anyway, I hope I haven't wandered off into the ether
0: on you. No, no, not at all. Well, that song, Delta yeah. Dawn, how many people have recorded that song?
1: Seventy-eight. Wow. <laughs> Seventy-eight.
0: Who would you say did, recorded, performed, whatever you want to, however you want to put it? Bette Midler. She did the best one, you think?
1: Absolutely. I was on the road with her for a year. I opened for her when Barry Manilow was still her conductor. And I opened for her on the road, and she was so kind, so sweet to me. But she actually actually uh, got into it more than more than I could even imagine anybody else could get into it. I don't think they under, you know, of course they don't understand this about my mother and that whole story. When I sing a song, I see my mother. I, I, I feel that whole thing, that whole thing that happened to me in regard to that. So I feel it, and uh, and it comes out when I perform it. But she somehow found a reason, a, a reason, a right, a way to do the same thing. And she absolutely felt every note. So, but seeing, hearing her every night sing that song and and every night was, every time she sang it was a little different. She didn't repeat, you know, a lot of people just repeat the same performance over and over. But you you can't do that. Not with a song like Delta Dawn, you can't do it.
0: So. Not just Delta Dawn of all of the songs you have written. If you just look at all of them that have been recorded by other people, who would you say, just of all the songs, did the best version of a song you wrote?
1: <laughs> You're going to this is going to be crazy, but there's you remember an old an old uh, legitimate singer, black man named uh, Arthur Prysock.
0: Indeed, it's a name you don't hear very much, but yes, Arthur uh, Prysock.
1: Oh, he was so good, but yeah, I, I, I guess it and, and it, it never was a, a hit or anything, but. Spread your wings and let the wind just take you to the sky. I've tried so long to go to hold you down. Go ahead and fly. <laughs> that was the name of the song, and he just did so good. I mean, I, you know, I'm appreciative of anybody that ever cut my songs. And Kenny Rogers, Kenny Rogers never messed one of my songs up. He cut 18 of my songs, and he never. Every one of the songs that he ever recorded of mine is just the most brilliant performance. And, you know, Reuben James came after right after uh, Ruby Don't Take Your Love to Town. It was the next single. Man, I was thinking because he did he, he did so well on Ruby Don't Take Your Love to Town, that is one of the most unique records I've ever heard in my life. Yep, it's so good. You know that? And... Uh, it was so unique, and I thought Reuben James, he was going to record it. And I'm saying, man, it's going to be tough. But, you know, Kenny Rogers was another one. Really, He really cared what that song was about and really tried to put his heart and mind into it.
0: Well, tell us about the inspiration behind that song, Reuben James.
1: The Reuben James, I grew up in a strange place in West Tennessee. It was strange to me at the time. Of course, looking back and comparing it to other people's lives, it does seem strange. I guess it must seem more strange to them than me because I was fine. It was mostly black people. My my dad, when he was born, his mama didn't have any milk, and he had to go to next door to a black woman's house named Maid Julia, and she had just had a son named Jimmy Lee. And so Jimmy Lee nursed on one while my dad nursed on the other, and he kind of grew up thinking he was a twin to a black man. So all the people, a lot of people, most of the people that traded my dad still were black. And there were three uh Men and black men in my life, when my dad got tuberculosis, my mama was weird and all that kind of stuff. And there was a blacksmith shop that I went down to, and I would sit in the door of that blacksmith shop, and I would listen to these old black men sing songs and cut up and have fun, you know, putting horseshoes on the horses. And and I just still remember the smell of those coals. And so Reuben James is actually uh, is about a combination of the three of them. Was Walter D. Berry, Wesley Watkins, and Albert D. Berry were the three men that really, because when my mama died and I, my aunt finally took me into this big house and it was a totally different life, but my memory of that area, that time of my life, was the fact that I could always go and find happiness at that blacksmith shop, and that's where Ruby James was actually born
0: out of. So. As you mentioned, Kenny Rogers recorded a dozen and a half of your songs. Yes, sir. What do you think it is about your work that he identifies so much with?
1: <laughs> well, you know, I think he, he actually uh, every song is a, is a is a painful song almost that he recorded of mine, "Lucy," which was later recorded actually by uh, several other people, and but they all had some kind of a little uh painful twist to him i think so i think mainly it was that it was that identification with the pain um he had a kind of a painful uh, upbringing too uh, i think he had alcohol involved in his parents life and i never i mean i lived with him a year and a half he produced my first album for capital he got me on capital actually and he produced my first album something you might find interesting too is that. Uh, The first time I ever met Kenny Rogers, um, I had written Reuben James, and I thought it would be good for him. Nobody else had ever recorded any of my songs. I heard he was going to be on the Johnny Cash show, and so I went out to the Johnny Cash show and and, uh, wiggled my way onto the set and went back to his dressing room door, and I sat there. And he came by five times that day into his dressing room and out and never said a word, and I thought, well... Maybe it's not going to happen, but I'll try again. So I went the next day. He went by twice, and then he looked at me, Are you, and what do you want? And I said, well, I just have a song I want to play you, if I could, Mr. Rogers. And uh, he said, well, come on in here and play it. So I played Reuben James for him, and he sat there silent when I was done with the song. And uh, I was thinking, oh, God, I've I, I maybe messed up or something. I thought I was maybe going to sing it good. He said... I'm going to cut that next week. <laughs> so I just—I mean—I couldn't even believe my ears. And he said, what are you doing for the next three months? And I said, I don't know. Uh, whatever you want me to, Mr. Rogers. He said, well, I'm going to make a record with you. Can you come stay with me for three months in Los Angeles? I said, yes, sir, I can. So
0: anyway, <laughs> he produced my first,
1: my first album for Capitol. During that period of time, We'd sit at this fireplace and, and swap songs a lot, and he learned all my songs and so that I, I eventually he cut eighteen of my songs and part of the reason is that the uh needed one more song for an album and and he'd remember a song that that I had written, and he was so good about it because he would really learn he would learn my songs he wouldn't just he wouldn't just read read them and sing them he he learned them and and he would really get into it if we you know we'd sit by the fireplace and he'd maybe he'd sing one of my songs to me uh which i just i mean it just thrilled me but anyway
0: having spent so much time with him would you say yeah. that kenny rogers is he really a gruff guy what is he really like
1: kenny rogers is probably one of the sweetest people i've ever met he was so good and uh he was so good to me and, you know, he would go out on the road and leave me, just me and his wife and his two kids at home. And I did whatever. And, you know, one time I built a barbecue pit in his backyard while he was gone. <laughs> and he came back. You know, I'm not really a bricklayer. <laughs> so it wasn't that great looking. And it wasn't long after that that he moved out. And I thought maybe the reason he moved out was because of that because of that barbecue pit. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, uh, he always was kind to me. He was nice. He was a, a sweetheart of a man. I remember one time that uh, we came home and, and and little Kenny, his son, had a what do you call those little animal? Little tiny. Oh uh, no. But anyway, so it, it had died, and it was big. And, it was small enough to put in his uh, jacket pocket. So we got on his his uh, had a BSA motor, motorcycle, and rode to the pet store with that thing in his pocket. One of those, yeah, it was a little pet. What do you call those things, some hogs?
0: Oh, uh, maybe a guinea pig.
1: A guinea pig, that's what it was. It was a guinea pig. So anyway, yeah, a little guinea pig died, and uh, so... Um, we were going to before Kenny got little Kenny got home from uh, school. We were going to go replace it. So uh, he put it in his jacket pocket, and we got on his BSA motorcycle and went down to the pet store. And we got to the pet store, and he pulled did Kenny pig out of his pocket. Of course, everybody knows who he is. He showed that to the person back in the pet department, and he said, "I need one exactly like this." And so what happened was that he went and they. Looked through all the guinea pigs until they found one that looked as close as they could to the one that he had, and we went back and put it in this cage. And we were just kind of sitting there when little Kenny came home, and little Kenny goes in his room and he comes out just crying, just crazy. And, and we said, "Little Kenny, what's wrong? What, what happened?" He said, the, "My mine was a girl." <laughs> he had come home and checked the sex of his guinea pig, and <laughs> and discovered that. And, you know, we thought everything was just going to be cool because it looked exactly like the other one. But that was one of the funny moments of my existence with Kenny.
0: Another song that Kenny Rogers recorded that you wrote, Making Music for Money. Yes, sir. Tell us about the inspiration behind that song.
1: Well, Nashville's is inspiration because they want to, they, just want to, they want to record the same song over and over, basically. You know, the way they... I'm sorry, I'm going to have to say the truth, and and, and if they want to burn me, I don't care, but um, that's just the way they do, and when they they teach how to write songs down in Nashville, they play you another song and say, write one like this, basically, be careful. So anyway, they just teach you how to write the same song over and over, basically, and so Making Music for Money was one of those songs that I had gotten to the point where you know, I wrote Delta Dawn. They said, well, Delta Dawn, you'll never get that song cut. That song is, is got two verses before it gets to the chorus, and it, you don't even understand what the song's about. Well, of course, people did understand it. And Reuben James, they said, "Oh, that's about a white man living in a black man's house. You'll never get that cut. Of course, I did. And so here, here's the truth. The truth is that the way that all happens and the way they teach you to do it And you're supposed to do it that way, you think. And you go to that town, and finally you get to the point where you understand that, as I did, that you really got to write something that means something to you. You write something that means something to you. If it's going to make other people cry, it needs to make you cry too. And so that's the way I grew up, and I just didn't fit. You know, I didn't fit around there, so I hope that answers your question. If it didn't answer me another one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And in addition to Kenny Rogers... Jimmy Buffett recorded it. What did you think of Jimmy Buffett's interpretation? Well,
1: I thought he did an excellent job, and if you look in Jimmy's book, he covers that, and that's the that's the first song he covers when they uh in the book when they're talking about it and basically he's talking about he's complaining about the same thing I was complaining about. You know why can't we just be real? I know when i when I write a song, I have to pray for inspiration. And I love Jesus Christ. And that's all I can tell you, if it doesn't start with Him, it won't start. And so I just pray for inspiration. I pray for uh, anointment. I pray for all kinds of things in order to uh, write a song. And then I'll get the guitar and I'll just, I'll just, as the Bible says, be still and wait. You know, just completely open myself and leave it, leave everything alone and just be quiet. And then something comes start to play the guitar, and then the guitar starts to tell me melodically and feel-wise what I need to do. And then all of a sudden, it's like when Delta Dawn came, I had no earthly idea. I never sat down and wrote, this is what the song's going to be about. Uh, T. Graham Brown came to my house one time to write a song, and uh, he pulled out a list of titles out of his hip pocket. And uh, uh, and I said, what do you want to do, do with that? He said, well, what's wrong? I said, well, you can wipe your butt with it. <laughs> i don't need a list of titles i said you know you and i have to get on some some footing where we have a a love for each other that's shared and that's how a song begins to be written i said you know i know you've done this the other way so many times and and you've just totally mentalized it and it's come totally out of your head and that's just not the way i'm going to do it and so anyway it took a long time for us to finally get into uh and in the end, what happened was that I just said, you know, I'm just going to write this to you. I sat down with the piano and I started to play. Hell and how water came out. Don't worry if it troubles your mind. It'll wash away in the river. Time, if you're river, I'll be around. And basically, i would writing that song to T. Graham Brown. You know, I was saying, look, if you need somebody to tell you the truth, look me dead in the eye and let me tell you that I'll tell you whether it hurts you or not. It's okay. It doesn't mean that I don't love you if I tell you something that's not necessarily what you want to hear. And so, anyway, this is rambled on, I know, into uh, some oblivion, but I hope some truth came out of it.
0: <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you, you sharing with us. You you have a, a lot of, of spiritual topics that you touch on. What right. does God mean to you?
1: God means to me and and i had we had in church we had, a, we had a lesson on this last week and it was this no matter what happens it doesn't matter if it's bad or good you need to give thanks for it because it shows the purity of your love it is the it is the pure it doesn't show it is the pure. you don't need to show it but it is the purity of your love it's your purity of your love for your maker for the lord of course Noah stopped him and said, no, Lord, just let me, let's see if we, and so the Lord said, well, you know, get two of all the animals, I carry a few people with me, and he said, well, I'm not sure, Uh, and he said, well, can I just carry my and you know, my blood with me, and I need somebody to help me feed the animals uh, on the ark, And, and, and so the Lord finally let him do it. But if you read Genesis 6, you'll see that in a pure form, and you'll see that the Lord himself said, I don't like what I've done here. I just don't like it. So the world is responsible for all that. The world has been made as our testing ground, and the world is for, is what causes all that stuff that makes us unhappy, that uh, that causes us pain. All that comes from the world. And so when the Lord says, hey, you just ignore it. Ignore it. Be thankful for it, because next tomorrow, the next day, you won't believe what's going to happen.
0: Wow. This applies to songwriting, but also just, I guess, any kind of creative pursuit.
1: Everything, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter when you create something. If you don't have an anointment, I will guarantee you that you cannot see it with your heart. And until the work of art with your heart, you haven't seen it at all.
0: That's great. Thank you.
1: Thank you. You're a great interviewer. You just ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> and I just ramble on <laughs> for days and days. <laughs>
0: I was reading a little bit about this book that you wrote. Tell us about this book.
1: Well, when I first went to Texas, this is interesting. I think it's interesting. When I first went to Texas, I had, uh, I had come out of New York. I had just gotten on Capitol. Kenny had gotten me on Capitol Records. And I had just been making the circuit. The Capitol puts you on, first thing they do is put you on a circuit, and the circuit is all the coffee house listening rooms in the major cities in the United States. So I had been on that circuit, and it was a time for bell-bottom hip-huggers, which I had them on, and a gauze shirt with no collar, and a pair of Indian boots I had made myself. And I'm going to Texas, so I topped it off with a red cowboy hat. And when I got to Texas, I played in front of uh, Commander Cody and the Lost Planet Airmen, at the Armadillo World Headquarters, which was the number one place to play in Austin at the time, and Willie Nelson and Coach Darrell Royal came to see me play. And when I got through playing, they came back to the dressing room, and Coach Royal was the first time to meet my first time to meet him and Willie. And I said, Coach, I said, man, can you give me some pointers? I I don't want to do anything wrong here. I love this state. I don't think I want to leave here ever again and I just want some pointers, if you could give me some pointers. He said, well, I just couldn't, I don't tell anybody what to do, Alex. I, I don't know if I, and I said, please, Coach, just please. He said, well, he said, uh, I believe i would get me a pair of Wranglers, and I'd get a good Western shirt, not a sparkly, spangly Western shirt, but just a good Western shirt. And he said, I'd get a good pair of boots. You know a Texan buys boots. So if you get cheap boots on, probably a cheap Texan. And he said, I'll do something else. He said, I think I'd lose that girl's cowboy hat. <laughs> so from then on, the next night, I went to his house for dinner. And you know what? I had bought a pair of Wranglers. I washed them 15 times. I looked exactly to the tee. Uh, like what Coach Royal said I needed to look like. Man, when he opened that door, from then on, I was his favorite. <laughs> so... Did I answer that question? uh, You know, sometimes I go all around it, and I'm sorry.
0: Well, you were just telling us a little bit about this book.
1: Oh, the book. Oh, yeah. I was trying to give you a basis for why the book was written. So at that point, I said to myself, I'm going to be the best Texan there is. If they don't want to call me a native, it's okay. But I'm going to be better than any native, because there's not a question you're you're going to be able to ask me that I don't know about Texas history. And so I began to uh, research and study at that point, And I came up with a lot of stories. And some of them, uh, I did a radio show during the sesquicentennial in 1986. And so, but it got me going. When I started to read about Texas history, I couldn't quit. I said, I bought every book and got every book that I could get a hold of with Texas history. And the basic bottom line of this book is every story in my book has a little note of irony. For instance, do you know why the blue bonnet is, is a state flower? most people don't really get it it's a beautiful flower it grows anywhere that's a good thing all the both those things are a good thing thing about the blue bonnet that's like the texan is the fact that the blue bonnet is back in the soil rather than take the dodgy on its roots that puts alkaloids back in the soil so it gives back to texas so then you look at the long one these are stories that are in the book and that's why i'm telling you this I've got a couple of stories about the longhorn, but the longhorn came from Mexico. It was a foot and a half shorter. It grew a foot and a half as it got into Texas, because it had to go a long ways to get to water, sometimes 20 miles or more. It would eat a prickly pear leaf for water if it, it couldn't find water anywhere else. No other animal ever would eat a prickly pear leaf, and the longhorn propagated itself. It became a breed on its own without any help from mankind whatsoever. And no matter how many longhorns there are, there are no two longhorns ever have been alike. Now, if that's not like a Texan, I'll I'll take your (laughs) hat.
0: Interesting stuff. Wow.
1: (laughs) So that's why I wrote the book. And and the book, of course, has lots of stories, uh, most of irony like that. I I made it in a, a little larger type, so you don't have to have your glasses. And, you know, you can read a story in five minutes. So... I guess there must be uh two or two hundred and fifty stories in there. But if you really want somebody to just learn about Texas without having to hurt them so much, <laughs> just give them that book. And they, uh, you know, when you get through, I mean, it covers like uh, every outlaw, every uh, lawman, famous people, wide earth, this and that. And you can be uh, pretty up on Texas history when you get through without having to go through uh Little small type uh, Texas history book.
0: What is the best thing about being Alex Harvey?
1: Being able to talk somebody like you. <laughs> my my life is built around making something that I want people to love, and nothing else truly matters to me. Nothing else in this world truly matters to me. It's like when I've written a song, that song may stay in my head. I'm going to finish that song while I'm sitting in that first first writing, that first sitting. I'm going to finish that song in its first draft. But that song will not leave me alone after that. I don't have to think of it in my head at all. It's in my heart. And I learn the song. I sing the song. I learn how to sing the song right away. And then that song sings itself in my heart until each line is purified. In other words, if there's more alliteration I can put in to make the ear like it better, there's so many things in the English that are available to us.
0: For anyone who's listening, this one is kind of open-ended. For our listening audience, what would you say to them?
1: Well, I, I would say thank you for all the things that I've enjoyed in my life. I would say thank you for for loving my songs. I would say if you were going to be a songwriter. Be sure and be true to yourself, number one, and understand that you don't have to go by any standards at all. I always say, look, here's the thing. If you want to write a song, you just have to be open, and it has to come from your heart, and you have to get yourself to that point. I've had people say, how in the world do you do it? I say, well, a backlog of stuff in the library of your mind. If you really want to understand the absolute truth of how to write, go to the Psalms in the Bible, because David was the most amazing, amazing poet there was. And even after it's translated into English, it still touches us. The Lord is my shepherd. You go on and on of the things that David wrote, and you want to know how to write a lyric. Well, read Psalms and get back to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I would say that I would say that. then just you—you've got to know one of the most simplest things of the of uh, available to us in the English language is an alliteration. I say, well, you want to know what an alliteration is? Here it is: busted flat and Baton Rouge waiting for a train. feeling nearly faded as my jeans Bobby Thumbed, He soared down. Chris Chris Tarkson wrote a bit of alliteration in every line. It was a trick, and yet every line says something and means something. What if you had three, I'll say, and they all look dumbfounded. I say, I woke up Sunday morning with no way to hold my head. It didn't hurt, and the beer I had for breakfast wasn't bad. He wrote three alliterations in that one, and he did it on purpose. Yet every line means something. And then, okay, what if you had no alliteration and no rhyme in a song? I know it's old. What goes on? This the world keeps on turning. Let's just be glad we had some time. There's... Chris Christopherson song that had no rhyme and no alliteration and yet it was a hit
0: my last question
1: (laughs) okay
0: who is Alex Harvey Uh,
1: let me see (laughs) Uh, I want everything I do to show my love if it's a song I want it to be something that will show my love if it's a it doesn't matter what it is. If, 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 even if I'm carving something with a knife, I want it to be finished. I want it to be something that says something specifically, something that touches somebody's heart. Because there's so many opportunities in, the, in this world for, for your heart not to be touched. We try to walk around people and don't even speak to them. It's like when I'm in the, in the YMCA, which I go to on a regular basis, if a guy comes and he's next to me and I don't know him and he's in a locker next to me, most people will just sit there and not say anything. But that's God's way of saying, I'm putting this guy next to you, stick out your hand. <laughs> and you stick a hand, I always do that. I'm not gay, but I love, I love and I just want to, I love people. I've met more people that way that have been influential in my life and important to my life.
0: Just by sticking out your hand.
1: Yeah. That's it. That's it. You can't stick out your hand without loving your face and your heart, though.
0: Hmm.
1: They can see that. If if people see that loving you, it's amazing how things change. You know, things you need that you didn't think you were going to get, they come to you. Just all sorts of good things happen.
0: Anyone out there can visit the website for more information. It's org. Mr. Harvey, thank you very much for your time.
1: You've been very sweet, Paul. I certainly thank you too, and I just wish all the people who hear this—I this, I love them all—and I hope y'all, if you you write a hit song, I hope every one of you write a hit song because the greatest gift that God ever gave me was a song everybody knows the word. to. Because when you sing it live and they all sing, it's like, oh, thank you, Jesus.
0: <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you very much again, and have a great day
1: all right buddy if you, hey, send me a copy of you if you can certainly give give all my heart to looking you up
0: thanks Paul great
1: all right bye 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 pop deep like a be a go, good
0: loop good, oh, Goodbye